Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Thanks, sponsors, Tops, Panini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Hugging the Scott Auctions, Mike's Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Compsy.com, and Beckett Media, Beckett Grading, Beckett Authentication. This is Outtakes from Hobby Hotline on February 4th of this year. <laughs> I was on with uh, Logan Ward, and Danny Black was quarterbacking the switchboard for when people call in. We had a wide-ranging conversation for the full hour. This is less than 15 minutes of it. Start out talking about prospecting and ended up with the Hall of Fame and steroids and comparisons. Stuff I hope you'll enjoy. I certainly enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, listeners. Here it is. We've got all these top 100 lists and all these prospects coming out. Investing in prospects because people this time of year are buying up at crazy prices a lot of the Bowman first. I like to dabble, but I can't even afford some of these players that are coming out and their base autographs are starting at $50, $100, $200. Is that too much for people to enter the market at? I think it is. I've never really been much of a prospect guy. I do a little bit. But some of those prices, that's just getting a little absurd. Danny, there's two ways to invest. One is to be buying things. And the other is what I do is to not sell things. So in effect, if I get a product and I break the product and there's some untested but highly touted rookies, I'm in effect investing by not putting them out there, by holding mm -hmm. them back, by retaining them, because I'm thinking I want to see how this plays out. So I've bought them, but I bought them within the box or the case or whatever I got. That's another way to think of it. I didn't have to go out and buy it, but if I could have sold it for more right away, I should I do that? I think there's an incubation period that's longer for baseball than it is for the other sports. If somebody's 21 years old or 22 years old, you maybe need to not sell guys until they hit 25. The question in baseball is the learning curve at every level takes a couple hundred at-bats, so when a guy hits the majors, if he doesn't take off like a rocket booster, his prices fall so quickly. Yeah, but I'm bypassing that because I'm holding. So I don't have to do the homework. I get to do the homework in arrears when they hit 25. I think, okay, now what has that person done? If it's not much, then I shouldn't have held. But to do it right out of the gate, Danny, that's the problem because the information is just opinions. And that's what drives a lot of the top 100 list. My point is the guy who was drafted in June of last year is really hard to spend $250, $300 off 16 plate appearances at single A last year. And listen, it might be one of the Jackson Holiday, number one pick. I'm an Oriole fan. My son's won a Jackson Holiday card. I know I'm either buying a base card that's really never going to appreciate, which is fine, or I'm really priced out of the Jackson Holiday market. If it's a base card, it's never going to be as valuable. But if a guy gets on fire, his base cards will not go up as much, but the base cards will be in demand of the very top players of their rookie cards. Their base rookie is not junk. It's just their easiest rookie card, and nobody's going to ooh and odd about it. I don't know that your son is so sophisticated that he's figured out that if it's a base card, it's well, dad doesn't love me anymore. No, he was sophisticated enough to negotiate into a Trevor Lawrence. Okay. So maybe his Oriole loyalty is less than I want it to be. The average male athlete peak is 27. The point is that you can't judge people too young. But there's two kinds of judging, Danny. Basically, you've got the sabermetricians, metric people that are doing all these advanced analytics for projecting. And then you got the old-time scouts. There's still some of them out there that just recognize mm -hmm. raw talent that's hard to quantify. And so when you get these top 100 lists... My guess is it's more toward the analytics. There's some intangibles there. That's why it can never be an exact science. Comment about the believer in selling all the RCs when you open the pack. Yeah, let me put Basically, that back up. Basically, this is the version of the 
not battle, but the difference that Rich Klein and I have about when you buy a collection, do you sell the best stuff first or do you sell the best stuff last? I'm a sell the best stuff last person. Double D is saying, I want to get my money back out of the stuff I can sell right now. And that's what Rich does. Rich buys a collection. He sells the, the easy sellers first and then goes slower with the other stuff. There's a difference between modern and vintage in my approach. On a modern card, if I'm dealing with a rookie or a minor league player, I may want to get rid of that card if I'm worried about getting returned back on the purchase. If it's vintage, it might be a whole different ballgame because there's a little bit more stability in where the liquidity might come from. Yeah, but I do uh, it both. I do it for modern and for vintage. I'm consistent. And I think Rich well, is pretty much too when he's buying things, although he's on the buying mode again now after he sold out. Then you and I will pl politely disagree that we'll take one approach on vintage and one on modern. But to be fair, the modern, I probably sell early rather than late on a lot of these guys. We're all lifers. So if you don't have a short-term horizon, then I feel like the hobby is going to be bigger in three years than it is now. And some of these players, I don't know which ones are going to be no good, but some of them are going to be good. And so in believing that the hobby is going to be bigger and better and stronger in three years then my buy and hold of the things that I think have potential for going up is that's the reason behind what I'm doing because I'm a lifer. If I'm short term, oh my goodness, I wouldn't even be wanting to hold on to vintage. Yeah, and that's an excellent point. Logan, what's your general approach for holding versus selling? I hold everything. I'm not a seller right now. Maybe in a few years when I decide to retire, maybe that's what I spend my retirement doing is selling cards, maybe. But I've never been a seller. You can go look at my eBay profile and you can see that I've been doing it for over 50 years. It's hard for me to let go. I don't know. It's weird too. This may be too much information, but even when people send me cards in the mail and they use other cards to pad those cards, you know, they're common cards. I keep all those too. I don't get rid of any of those. I feel like I'm doing something bad if I throw away a trading card. <laughs> F1 popularity is going to be around for a long time, in my opinion. The amount of celebrities spotted at F1 events might be more than any other sport. Logan. One is a global phenomenon. Been around since 1954. F1 is the third most popular sport in the world, I think. Soccer's number one, and cricket's number two, and F1 is number three. What you had a year and a half ago when the F1 stuff came out, they were all these cumulative rookie cards. That's, that's a one-off. Now these products are going to have to stand on their own merit without the gold rush of thinking these are all going to be rookies. Logan, do you collect memorabilia like vintage jackets or original posters from older races? Oh, I've got tons of posters. As you can see behind me, I've got the Dale Earnhardt senior fire suit. I've got crew suits. It's more than just cars for me. It's a lot of memorabilia. Posters, programs, tickets, pennants, you name it. One of my nightmares is, and I need to make a deal with Logan, although it's probably not for sale or trade, but that card shop that burned down that I heard about, that's just a nightmare. But if I had a fire suit, I could keep my best cards in that fire suit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, I could just see you walking around in the fire suit just in case. I'm bulletproof. can get me. <laughs> my point is that cards can be damaged by fire or water. You have a insurance-proofed item. You can't be damaged by water or by fire. It's like an indestructible piece of memorabilia. These sneakerheads, I don't think that can be a long-term thing because the rubber degrades. Yes. So you have the ultimate infinity suit. <laughs> yeah, it's got little stones in it. Yeah, my wife was telling me, she goes, uh, I need a new pair of house slippers because the soles on the bottom of them are 
coming apart. It's like what you did. <laughs> so Logan, do you actively still try to get memorabilia or is it stuff that's brought to you? No, I actively still pursue memorabilia. Not as much. I mean, cards are my primary focus these days. There's still some vintage things I want to, not just in NASCAR, there's some vintage baseball still to have in my collection. But the my primary focus is trading cards, but tickets are getting to be pretty hot. I do have a lot of NASCAR tickets I'm thinking about maybe getting slabbed. You have such a fabulous non-card display, Logan. What would it be if you went all in on memorabilia? Or is it too late? Because some of that stuff you got over the years. Is it too late? Because memorabilia is catching up now. People are realizing that the game-used card with the little tiny swatch should not be worth more than the whole jersey. Agreed. <clears throat> it is a little bit too late, like, on eBay not too long ago, I saw a, a crew uniform from the early 80s from the Uno playing card team. It was really nice. And I thought about buying it. And I said, if I could get it for four or $500, maybe I might get it. That thing went for $1,500 or some kind of crazy money. Yeah, it's too late. Then Logan, if somebody has something laying around, what are the good types of items that are worth something in, in NASCAR and F1? Because I know there's a lot of die cast and stuff that's not real valuable. Good memorabilia are things that have actually been used at a race, like these crew suits, fire suits, and things that were at the race, like maybe tickets, program, pens, pennants, things that you can get like that. The little beanie baby cars and the knife sets for Dale Earnhardt Sr. No, that stuff is not any good. You want actual game use things or things that were actually part of the event. So I've got some NASCAR pins that NASCAR made back years ago that they gave out to the drivers when you became a member of NASCAR. And they're just little bitty lapel pins or like a tie pin or something. But those things are hard to find. I've been collecting those over the years. And that's the kind of stuff that I really like. I don't go for that Beanie Baby NASCAR the stuff and all that. Dr. Beckett, I've never really asked you, how much do you collect in football? Same. If I get it, I keep it. In fact, I will say this. When I do the dollar boxes, I go football first. Because I follow it close enough. I don't have to worry about the prospects. People pretty much emerge. And again, mainly quarterbacks. But then I'm picking in the dollar box. You're not finding great cards of quarterbacks. But you're finding great cards sometimes of linemen and other unglamour positions. But there's still a following for those. So it's fun. You'll find some really interesting stuff. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I said the football dollar boxes are terrible. Stay away from this. But um, I, I do all sports scanning, and it's fun. And it's a challenge to you see a player, and you'd know it if it's a quarterback, even Brock Purdy. If I'd seen a Brock Purdy in a dollar box, I would have picked it out, but they weren't in there because even as a Mr. Irrelevant, there still probably was some speculation six months ago before he even got a chance. Tom Brady changed that, I think, for every low-drafted quarterback to the end of time. People will now hold on to it a dollar a card. We just had the Hall of Fame vote of Scott Rowland, but I want to take a little bit of a different approach because I know so many people that are Hall of Fame collectors and registry people or just Hall of Fame autographs that I want to take a quick sneak peek at next year. And these are the top candidates, Beltre, Maurer, Chase Utley, David Wright, and the top returning vote-getters. Yeah, I think Beltre is going to get in. And I think Maurer, Utley, and Wright, I think the voters are going to give Todd Helton and Billy Wagner and Andrew Jones. There's this idea of not whether the player is Hall of Fame worthy, but whether he's first ballot Hall of Fame worthy. So I think those guys eventually get in to Joe Maurer's great athlete playing a tough position. I think Helton and Wagner are going to get in. Andrew Jones and Sheffield, maybe. 
They, but I don't think any of the new guys. So I think it's going to be Helton, Wagner, and Beltre next year. Logan, I know you have a specific feeling on Gary Sheffield. Yeah, I don't know why he keeps getting bumped down, but I've always been a Gary Sheffield fan. I'm hoping that he makes it, but something tells me he probably won't make it. I don't think the writers liked him that much. Based on number, he's totally in. In the batter's box, in my lifetime, he's on the short list of intimidating hitters. And I know that's not a reason to put a guy in the Hall of Fame, but Albert Bell, Gary Sheffield, there's only been a couple guys where I was scared to see them walk into the batter's box, and Sheffield definitely had that for me. He handled the bat like it was a toothpick, like it weighed five Mm -hmm. ounces. He came up young. People forget he was a shortstop and a very athletic guy when he came up. He's remembered for his later years when he was more of a hitter first. Scott Rowland was not the player that Adrian Beltre was. I think uh, the fact that Roland went in means Beltre's definitely going to go in right away. Yeah, Beltre's a 3,000 hit guy. He's just shy of 500 harbors. People forget how young he was when he made the majors to begin with and how amazing his career was to stay at a, the hot corner, much older than people realize, and how good the end of his career really was in Texas. Roland uh, and Beltre both were great oh, yeah. fielders. Yeah. At third base. And that really counts for something. Not going to argue that in Brooks Robinson territory. Does Alex Rodriguez <laughs> have the cheapest cards in the hobby if you add in his numbers? I disagree with that. I don't think they hate him more than Bonds. <laughs> There's a group of people that are not on the Christmas card. Though. Both prodigies. The decades of their 20s, both those guys were Hall of Famers before there was any taint. And their career numbers are are spectacular. And I'm going to throw McGuire in there. If you actually look at his numbers, they are far better than I realized in hindsight. I don't like people saying all the steroids players are of equal talent. I think Bonds, A-Rod, Clemens, they were Hall of Famers. I just want to separate that conversation because people lump them all together. Bonds doesn't care what we think. His mentor is Willie Mays, who's another misunderstood guy. He's just thinking, I'm not fully appreciated, just like Willie Mays wasn't fully appreciated for all the talent and what they did on the field.